Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for All Saints Day, November 7, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. A special welcome to all those who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for All Saints Day. The sermon text is taken from Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17. can be found on page 1921 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, today the church around the world and for all time celebrates the Feast of All Saints. It's a time on the church calendar when we, we set aside the, a moment to remember the saints that have gone before. Not just the great saints that have the word saint in front of their names, but all the faithful who have died in the faith and left us with a heritage, an example of the faith. Now, naturally, on all saints, the church has death on the mind, that, that we are one of the few institutions left on the planet that do not deny the existence or the reality or even the pain and sting of death. But, but for just a moment, as Christians, I want to ask you a very simple question. What do you think it's like when you die? Many of us, and probably almost everyone here, has witnessed or experienced the death of a loved one. But what about your own death? Now, I, I want to stop here because I'm not talking about necessarily the process of death, I am talking about the moment that you enter into eternity. That's the real question we have before us here in Revelation. 
I've spent a fair amount of time as a pastor preaching and teaching that death is no longer a threat. That due to the completed work of Christ on the cross, and especially in this case with the empty tomb, death is a defeated foe. But I have to confess that I personally haven't spent too much time thinking about the glory and the amazement one must experience when we enter into eternity. And that's a shame, because the wonder of the gospel, a truth that in and of itself sounds too good to be true, is that it is in fact true, that we have eternal life because Christ died in our place and rose again. And dwelling on the promises of the gospel, and again in this instant, the hope of eternity is something that helps secure the reality of the gospel for each one of us. And so it just so happens that eternity is what John gets a glimpse of here in Revelation 7. John, by the grace of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, gets a chance to literally and physically see the outcome of the gospel and the outcome of the work of his Savior. And in fact, that's really what John sees. He sees the work of the Savior in action and applied. So turning our eyes back to Revelation 7 this morning, the first thing John sees is Jesus Christ as the imputed Savior. At the opening of our passage, we see a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. This multitude is without number, which I suppose is what multitude means in the first place. They are from every nation and tribe and people and language on the earth. And they're holding palm branches in their hands. But most importantly, for our purposes this morning, they're wearing white robes. The white robes of the saints that John sees teach us much about the nature of the whole multitude. These individuals first have been forgiven. They are presented to John and to us without spot or blemish anywhere. Their sins have not been counted against them as they stand here in the courts worshiping God. But also, and what we might miss, is that this multitude is presented to us as the baptized. The picture here John sees of the white robes of the multitude is the picture of those who have been clothed with the righteousness of God. So we need to pause for a moment and jump back in the scriptures to Galatians 3.27. And there we read, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Or you might have a different translation that says, Have been clothed with Christ. Those who are wearing the white robes are those who have been clothed with Christ in baptism. And baptism is the application of Christ's righteousness to you by the promise of God's word. And so what we're seeing here in Revelation is the truth of your Christian life, the truth of your identity as a child of God fully realized. 
everything the gospel promises to you, life, salvation, eternity, the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours right now, at this moment. Theologically speaking, nothing separates you here in this room right now from the saints in eternity. Everything they have is yours because it has been applied to you by the Spirit through the preaching of the Word and the administration of the sacraments. But now, even as a forgiven child of God, you suffer. You suffer from sin and its consequences. You experience pain and anxiety. You mourn the death of loved ones. Because of this reality in the here and now, Satan wants to tempt you to doubt the reality of your forgiveness, to doubt the existence of your salvation. And so this picture of the saints in eternity from Revelation 7 is a picture of great comfort. If a loved one has died in the faith, they at this moment are among that multitude. When you are brought into eternity through the death, or through your own death, or through the return of Christ, you too will be counted among this multitude. This picture that John paints for us demonstrates to you the faithfulness of God in the gospel. Salvation belongs to you. And it belongs to you because Jesus Christ succeeded. Jesus Christ actually died. Jesus Christ actually rose again. It's not just a theory. It's not just a philosophical meandering. It's historical reality. And because of that, because God has bound his identity and his reputation to Christ's work on the cross for you, he's never taking it away. He's never withdrawing it. He's never changing his mind. And so far as you are wrapped up in the work of Christ in your place, you are wearing that white robe. As we continue on in Revelation, Christ is also demonstrated as the atoning Savior. John maintains our focus on this multitude clothed in white. And one of the elders in heaven approaches John and asks him whether, the question to which the elder already knows the answer. He, he asks, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? John says, well, you know. And the elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now we need to stop here and make an interpretive decision about what we're hearing. What on earth is the Great Tribulation? In much of modern American Christian thought, the Great Tribulation is a seven-year period immediately either before or after the rapture. It is a time when God tests the authenticity of the faith of Christians who are still around before Jesus' second coming. This view especially for those who managed to make it through the 90s, has been popularized by the fiction series Left Behind. 
But if we follow that interpretation, if we follow that line of understanding, we run into a problem here in Revelation 7. If the Great Tribulation is a finite period of time at a specific point in history, the description of this multitude here in Revelation 7 doesn't make any sense. The ones coming out of the Great Tribulation in Revelation 7 are an innumerable multitude from every tribe and nation and people and language, and we would also add, from all time. John isn't seeing a finite group of people from a specific period of history. And that's because there's something else going on here in Revelation. The great tribulation must be more than a finite and intense period of suffering and testing because what we're seeing here in John's vision is the entire history of the church, 2,000 years and counting. It's a period, as Christ and the apostles taught, that is marked by persecution and defined by suffering. And I would ask you, over the course of the last two millennia, when has the church not suffered? When has the church not been persecuted? When have the people of God not been attacked? What we're seeing here is the reality of history. The people of God, granted by God through the word of God, remaining faithful to the end. What we're seeing in Revelation 7 is exactly the reason why we, as the church today, are celebrating all saints. But that's not the focus of the second section in our passage. Those coming out of the great tribulation have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this is where the pause really happens. We, we want to get our heads wrapped around the end times as much as we can. We, ought, we want to understand what the Word of God is teaching us about Christ's second coming. But, but the temptation for us here, seeing the multitudes clothed in white, is for us to deceive ourselves into thinking these people in eternity have a special quality to their faith, that they have done something in and of themselves. And that's exactly the opposite picture the white robes communicate to us, because the picture being painted is the exact picture of what atonement looks like. By Christ's shed blood on the cross, these people have been made clean. Their sins have been forgiven. They are counted by God himself as being righteous. The washing here gives us a second strong tie to baptism, but the significance of our lives as Christians as well. The truth being communicated here to us, to you and to me, is that the Christians who make up the church for all time are people who are desperate in need of forgiveness. The group of people that John sees in Revelation 7 were so sinful that they needed to be immersed in the blood of Christ. Lest you think there was any innate quality or inherent piety among these people that got them to heaven, Scripture says they were washed and they were cleansed in the same way that you need to be washed, 
And you need to be cleansed from your sin. The Bible says that we all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. If you are a Christian today, it is because you yourself have been washed in the blood of Christ. Your entire life as a Christian hinges on the fact that Jesus Christ purchased you with his shed blood on the cross. If you are a Christian today, there is no difference again between you and the multitude John saw in Revelation. But if you're not a Christian today, if you think that you're too sinful to be redeemed, you're entirely wrong. You're also not any different than any other member of the church that has ever lived. There is no good quality in you by which you might earn your salvation. What you need right now, more than anything, is to be washed in the blood of Christ and forgiven. The church for all time has needed that exact same thing. What we see when we look with John at the multitude in Revelation 7 is a beautiful picture of the atonement of sinners. Finally then, what we learn about Christ from John in Revelation 7 is that Christ is the shepherd savior. The redemption that Christ offers and gives to you is not just a one-time event. So often and tragically, I have heard at various points in my life that salvation amounts to a second chance for you to get things right. And that's entirely false. Salvation doesn't work that way because as a Christian, you are connected to Jesus Christ for the rest of your life and even for all eternity. As your Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world but also acts as your shepherd. He leads you and guides you and protects you and sustains you. John describes this to us beautifully. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is exactly what Christ promised to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and it's exactly what Christ does for you regularly through his word that sustains you. It's what Christ does for you to the pre through the preaching of the gospel. And when you receive communion up here in just a few moments, and on the day you are baptized, and in fact, every single time you repent of your sins, Christ sustains you with his word. Whoever confesses their sins, God himself is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But this is what Christ does for the church, even and eternity. He refreshes and sustains his people for all eternity through his identity as the Savior and as the Good Shepherd. And we might say at this point, having heard the sermon, that all of this is well and good. But what about right here and right now? 
Are we just supposed to finish our days on earth content with some sort of Christian escapism, always dreaming our days away, thinking about eternity? Is that really what revelation amounts to? Well, no. First, the hope of eternity for a Christian isn't escapism. It's reality. And oftentimes, a reminder about eternity is exactly what we need to sustain us through a life of suffering and pain and sorrow. But beyond that, Christian escapism isn't the picture John is painting for us in Revelation. What he's painting for the church right now on earth is a picture of service. Remember, everything the saints have in eternity, you have here on earth thanks to the good news of the gospel. It might not be fully realized yet, but nevertheless, it is still yours. And what that means is just as the saints in eternity serve the Lord day and night, so do you. In every calling God has for you, in every station of life God has put you into, you are serving God, whether you realize it or not. And more frequently than not, you do not realize you're serving God. Your Christian life, served out in your vocations, is as far as it possibly can be from escapism. In fact, it is a, fear, is a life without fear or need of mental gymnastics ending in abandonment. A Christian life is a life lived in flesh and blood service to God and in love to our neighbors that roots us in the reality that in Christ we at this moment have everything we need for life and salvation. That in Christ Standing before God right now, you are clothed in white, just as all the saints for all time are. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.